Well, good morning, New Day. How's everybody? Good. So we're going to look at three passages of Scripture, and then we'll, um, we'll pray. But let's look at the Scriptures first. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at the, the part of this uh, that talks about Abraham. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. It says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder was God. And I want to look at that from the Old Testament, so come with me to Genesis 12. And then we're going to look at something from the Gospels, and then we'll pray. Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you a, into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those that bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Then come with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, I'm sorry, Mark's Gospel chapter 4, and then we're going to read into chapter 5. But let's look at chapter 4, verse 35. Mark chapter 4, 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat, and there were also other boats with him. And a furious squall or storm came up and waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion and the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? (laughs) And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. And this man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often, uh, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. And night and day, among the, uh, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. Kind of a bad translation there, but we'll get back to that. I say that a lot, don't I? For Jesus said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And I'm going to stop reading Right there. Let's just pray just quickly. Father, I thank you for your presence, your power. Holy Spirit, I thank you for the way you're moving in our congregation and in our individual lives. And I pray, Lord, that you'll take this word this morning and you will help each one of us to find a place in our own context of our own lives where it impacts us, where it speaks to us and where we might apply it. So, Lord, help us as we go forward in this journey individually and together in Jesus name. Amen. I keep coming back to the story from C.S. Lewis 
The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which most of you probably know. Some of you may not know. But it's a trilogy, right? Three books. They made the movies about it. And C.S. Lewis wrote it as a parable to preach the gospel. The gospel story is embedded in the stories, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And the lion is Aslan, and he is a type of Christ. When you're reading C.S. Lewis and he's talking about Aslan, he's talking about Jesus. And there's one particular phrase in there that I've just not been able to get away from, where I believe it's Edmund is speaking, and someone, uh, I can't remember if it's Edmund that says it, or someone says it to Edmund about Aslan, and he says, uh, safe, who said anything about safe? And then he says, he's wild, not like a tame lion. He's wild, not like a tame lion. And, you know, the scriptures really do portray <laughs> the walk of faith in that way. And, and so I got to thinking about that, and I thought, you know, we really want a tame lion. We, we really want, and sometimes the way even we preach and present the gospel, we present it as though uh, Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the Bible calls him, we present it as though he is a tame lion. And then think about this, when you tame an animal, you domesticate the animal. Right? And when you domesticate an animal, you bring him into your home, bring him into your house, and teach him to obey you and to follow the rules of your house, right? So if you don't want the dog on the sofa, you teach the dog to get off the sofa. If you don't want to, you know, you don't want to mess up your life. You want them to come in and conform to your world, right? And so we want to domesticate Jesus oftentimes, and we want to bring him into our house, <laughs> We even look at the way we language it. You need to invite Jesus into your heart. You know, that's not even in the Bible. Did you know that? There's no place in the Bible where you're told to invite Jesus into your life. There's no, really no place in the Bible where you're told to invite Jesus into your life. See, that's our problem. Our problem is, is we want to invite Jesus into our place. We want to domesticate Him and bring Him to us. But Jesus never went to any one of His disciples and said, let me come live with you. Jesus went to every disciple that He had and said, I expect you to leave everything you've got and follow me. Abraham, Abram, is the father of our faith. And it says, by faith, Abram left, right? He left his house, he left his country, he left his, his family to follow God, and God didn't even tell him where he was going. <laughs> All he told him was, when you get there, you're going to be blessed. And I think we need to quit lying to people and tell them, you know, presenting the gospel in a way that allows us to think that somehow we can just bring this lion into our life and everything be cool. Because God will not allow you to domesticate him. And let me tell you something, following Jesus is anything but safe. And in fact, if we are going to really, really do this thing, let's just get honest about it. If we're going to do this thing, if we're going to follow him, then we've got to learn how to get out of our comfort zone. And, and really, I love this, this kind of with Abram, because here's what God says to Abram. Abram, get out of your comfort zone. Leave everything that's familiar to you. Leave everything that's comfortable to you. Leave everything that gives you security, your country, your family, your people. Uh, get out of this place. Come and, and, and I'll, I'll take you someplace completely unknown. Let's be honest. How many of us are really comfortable dealing with the unknown in regards to our future? Right? 
And yet by faith, he embarks on this journey. And he says, I'll, I'll bless you out here. Right? So we have our comfort zone. And then we have our blessing zone. Right? So let's just look at a couple things here real quick. All right, so this says that the greatest enemy to human potential is your comfort zone. The greatest enemy to human potential. The greatest enemy... See, see God, God isn't so much interested, really. He's interested in you, but He's interested in unlocking and releasing the potential that is inside you as a child of God. He's interested in you developing, in you and me developing. And we don't develop inside a comfort zone. And we certainly don't realize or maximize our potential inside a comfort zone. Because your comfort zone is designed to keep you inhibited. <laughs> Now let me ask you this question. What is the opposite of comfort? <laughs> Discomfort. And the reality is, is that following Jesus is not comfortable. Think about the, think about what we just read in the gospel story. Jesus tells his disciples, get in the boat and go to the other side. And I just, I don't know where this fits prophetically for you, but I know this is a prophetic word this morning. And here's what I mean by that. I mean, I know that God is speaking to us specifically and directly this morning and saying for, for each of us, or maybe just for a few of us, whoever you are that God is speaking to this morning, He, He wants to take you out of your comfort zone into a blessing zone. He wants you to be able to leave where you're at and leave what you've had and leave what you've been doing so that you can move into a place where you have what you never had before. <laughs> where th- th- Literally what he's inviting us on is a journey to go to, with him to the other side. <laughs> but he didn't tell you there's a demonized crazy person on the other side. <laughs> See we, see, we think it's just supposed to be comfortable. We just think it's just supposed to be blessed. We just think it's just supposed to be easy. And, and it's not like that. He, he tells him to get in the boat. He didn't tell him about the storm. And he certainly didn't tell him there's some crazy demon-possessed, cutting, crazy guy on the other side that we're going to have to confront as soon as we get there. But we have a tendency in our culture, we, we, because we don't understand the unseen world and how it operates. Because we don't understand the world of angels. We don't understand the reality of the kingdom of heaven. We don't understand how God wants to bring the kingdom of heaven to the earth by developing the Christian potential to live a supernatural existence. And because we don't understand that unseen, intangible world, we have a tendency to build all of our comforts around around this physical, natural world. And we look to this physical and natural world to provide us with our sense of security. And if you look at what the writer in Hebrews 11 is saying, he's saying, look, Abram, get out of really... Here's, here's how the, the, the writer of Hebrews is interpreting this. Get out of the seen realm where your comfort and your security is and move into this unseen realm. Because it says, I know God took him to a promised land, but it says he dwelt there like a stranger. And it says he was okay with that because he was looking for a city... <laughs> Not a city that could be seen, but a city that could not be seen. Not a city that had been built, but a city that had not yet been built, whose builder and maker was God. 
So, so the invitation for Abram, the reason it can speak so powerfully to us, is because God's inviting us sometimes to leave, to wean ourselves off of all of our securities that we have in this world so that we can step out into a world beyond and begin to depend on invisible support and begin to depend on things that are not seen so that by faith we embark on this journey. And our problem is we get in the boat and the storm kicks up and we think we miss God. God can't be in the midst of this storm. If God was in this, it wouldn't be so stormy. If God was in this, the waves wouldn't be crashing into our boat. If God was in this, my boat wouldn't be sinking. If God was in this, I wouldn't be stuck in the middle of this mess. Because we want Him to be a tame lion. We want Him to be safe. So, here's, alright, so here's, here's a little psychology for you. You ready? Because psychologists, scientists, they identify comfort zones as well. And here's how they would identify a comfort zone. A comfort zone is that place where you keep anxiety at bay. Where you manage your life in order to manage your level of anxiety. And so they, they actually have three different zones. They have a comfort zone... Then just outside the comfort zone, they have an anxiety zone. And then just outside the anxiety zone, they have a panic zone. (laughs) Now, they've studied mice. They've studied uh, human behavior, right? Now, the learning zone is the anxiety zone. But we don't like to tell you that. So we put a nice positive spin on it. But here's what they found out. Studying my studying human behavior. Here's what they found out. That you actually perform your best in anxiety. How many of you ever have said, like, if you were like me, like, you, okay, so I can go back to my life and I can think about school. And I, I didn't do well in school. I didn't like school. Uh, and I did not like homework. At all. And I didn't like deadlines and I didn't like any of that stuff. And so what I would do is I would tell myself, if I leave things to the last minute, if I leave things to the last minute, then I got more pressure on me, and I perform better under pressure. Anybody ever thought like that? Okay, the reality is, that's scientifically accurate, it's scientifically true, that we as human beings perform better under pressure. Where we don't perform so well is when we get so stressed out, we end up in our panic zone. So God has a way of leading us in life where He won't let us stay in our comfort zone, but He doesn't take us totally into our panic zone either. Well, maybe sometimes. Maybe sometimes it feels like a panic zone. You understand what I'm saying? But, but there's, some, there's anxiety that goes with it. And so here's our problem. We get outside our comfort zone and we lose our peace. We get outside our comfort zone and things aren't going very well for us. Or at least we don't think they're going well for us. And we start to feel all that stuff inside. And the moment we start feeling all that stuff inside, we say, well, brother, I don't have a peace about this. And we step right back into our comfort zone. And we blame the Holy Spirit. Because we want to domesticate him and make him a tame lion. Or we step out and we start feeling anxiety and our world, because God's trying to wean us off our dependence on everything physical. And so everything physical starts going nutso. 
right? In the midst of a storm, and we're, and we're trying to hold steady in this place, and then all of a sudden we think, if God was in this, it wouldn't be this way. If God was in this, we'd be blessed. Because see, there is a blessing zone. There, there, is a, there is a comfort zone, and there is a blessing zone. Abram, leave what's comfortable, and go to a place that I will show you, and I will bless you. But see, we think that the blessing's supposed to come right away, but that totally violates biblical pattern. Let me give you some examples uh, other than Abram. Think about Joseph. You know your Bible stories, right? Joseph has a dream. What, what's Joseph's dream? Well, his brothers are going to bow down to him. Right? That's a pretty good dream for the youngest in the family to have. Especially in that culture, right? I don't blame him for dreaming that dream. God gave him that dream. And he tells the dream... Right? And the moment he tells the dream, he activates the dream. The moment he activates the dream, what happens? Do his brothers bow down to him and say, Oh yes, we had the same dream. (laughs) They actually enslave him. They take him captive, throw him in a pit, they sell him to Ishmaelites, I think, who take him down into Egypt. So God shows him, look, you're going to rule, and he activates the dream, and he experiences the exact opposite of what God said he was going to have. All right, I can tell you're not impressed. So let's try another one. Moses, Moses shows up to the children of Israel, right, who are slaves. And you would think, you know, and then the Bible says that Pharaoh made their life bitter and hard with bondage and oppression. So you would think the idea of getting out of slavery would be a great idea. And so they come to, Moses comes and says, God's going to deliver you from this, and He's going to take you into a land flowing. Listen to this, get a picture of this. He's going to take you into a land flowing with milk and honey. Amen? Right? Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And so they leave, you know, it, it all goes down, and they leave, and they're cheering, and they're leaving, and they leave wealthy. Because they, they, they take the, the treasures of Egypt. Because actually, if you read the story carefully, they were the ones building the treasury city. So God is into equity. So God wasn't robbing the Egyptians. God was restoring to Israel what they had worked for and He was balancing the scales. So they leave Egypt. They go a three days journey. And guess what? The very first thing that happens... They're, they're in a dry wilderness. Now, wilderness in the Bible is not wilderness like we think of it. Desert is a better translation. They're in a desert, and guess what? There's no water. So watch this. God said, you're going to leave Egypt, and you're going to go to a place flowing with milk and honey. But they don't get to a place flowing with milk and honey. They get to a place, their first destination, there's no water. Much less milk or honey. There's no food out there. So God promises them one thing, and the moment they leave the journey, they experience something that's the exact opposite. Okay, some of you are getting that, but some of you are still not. So, David. Think about David. I love these Bible stories. David, Samuel shows up. Think about the dysfunction in David's family, alright? Just, just think about it for a minute. Like, if you came from a dysfunctional family, like, read your Bible. Like, it is no excuse for staying in dysfunction. The only reason you stay in dysfunction if you came from a dysfunctional family is because that dysfunctional family uh, determined the parameters of your comfort zone. But you're more powerful than that. Right? So think about the dysfunction in David's family. 
Samuel shows up. Think about this. Samuel shows up. And Jesse's a little nervous because the prophet came to town. And he didn't know if the prophet's bringing good news or bad news. So he says, are you coming bringing tidings of, you know, good things? He says, yeah, I've come to anoint one of your sons. Watch this. I've come to anoint one of your sons king. So he brings his sons before Samuel. And Samuel gets to the first one. And Samuel even says to himself, the Bible tells us, he even says to himself, he sees the, the firstborn and he says, surely the Lord's anointed is before us. And I don't remember how many. I think there was like seven brothers or something. So he anoint, and he passes over the first one, right? He passes over the second one. I mean, by the time he gets to the fifth one, now here's the thing. David's not there. David is out in the field. So daddy thought so much about David. He thought so highly of his son David that when Samuel came, when Samuel came and said, I'm going to anoint one of your sons king, that daddy didn't even think to go get David. And I'm thinking by about number five. You know, Passover, first one, second one, third one. I'm thinking by the time he gets to about the fifth son, I'm thinking maybe we should go get David. But he waits till he's all the way through and Samuel's looking around like, maybe I miss God. And he says, Don't, is there any other? He's like, well, yeah, there's that kid David out in the, out in the field. Think about that. It's like, that's like not even, that's like, that's like your family having a birthday party and you're not invited. <laughs> so, so Samuel anoints David as king and so David's gonna have the kingdom. So, and then, and then David goes out and he kills Goliath and, and all that stuff. But, but then what's the next thing that happens to him? He's running from Saul. Saul's throwing spears at him, chasing him out of the kingdom. So he's experiencing, watch this, God promises him one thing, and he goes into the place where he's experiencing the exact opposite of what God promised him. And our problem is, the moment we start to experience adversity, we think something's gone wrong. We forget the fact that Jesus started the journey by saying, go to the other side. And we forget about the fact that he's in our boat, (laughs) albeit sleeping, (laughs) albeit seemingly completely unaware to the storm that we're facing. And then we want to, you know, kind of accuse him and say, well, what's the deal? Don't you care? Don't you care that we're perishing? Right? Right? Man, I saw something this week. How many, how many of you, now I came through a lot of teaching about faith early on, and I thank God for it, but a lot of it messed me up. So I'm getting, un, uh, hopefully, I'm getting unmessed up. So I don't mess you up. Right? But I was taught that faith and fear could not coexist. I was taught, in fact, that faith was the opposite of fear. I was taught and probably taught you (laughs) at some point. You know, the Bible says of Job, the thing I greatly feared has come upon me. There's a proverb that says the fear of the wicked will come upon him. The desire of the righteous will be granted, but the fear of the wicked will come upon him. And so we can begin to think in terms that says fear actually invites the thing that we're afraid of into our lives. Anybody ever heard that teaching? And so, and so fear and faith are not compatible. They, they cannot coexist. But here's the problem. That's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. 
If you want to, it's not, it is not in the scriptures. If you want to know what the opposite of fear is, you read 1 John 4.17, and 1 John 4.17 says this, There is no fear in love, and he who fears has not been made complete. Our translations say perfect, and that gives uh, people like me... uh, Mental illness, because, because we think perfection is this thing. Right? Where you have no problems, and you're perfectly squared away, and you're exactly how you're supposed to be, like, you think you're supposed to be. Any other, like, battling perfection in the house? Right, so it doesn't say that. It says made complete. Made complete in love. In other words, if love and fear cannot coexist, then wherever there's fear, there's not love. So you're not full. You're only half full instead of full, full. So the opposite of fear is love. The opposite of fear is not faith. Because here's the truth. You are not in faith until you're in fear. Until there's anxiety, there's not even the opportunity for faith. Because you're still in your comfort zone. And if by definition your comfort zone means that you leave the place that's comfortable (laughs) to the place where there's anxiety. See, until there's anxiety, you're, you're just depending on your patterns, your scripts, your comfortable little life. But God, if He's going to get your potential to operate, He's going to invite you out of your comfort zone and He's going to invite you into the anxiety zone. (laughs) Because it's in the anxiety zone that you learn to come to faith. Does that make sense? So, for, but for a lot of us, we do this. Watch, watch this. This little comic strip up here. So here's this guy in his circle, his comfort zone, right? And he says, anybody ever felt like this? I need to get out of my comfort zone. And then he just, he kind of sticks his hand out like this, right? And uh, and then says, hey, this ain't so. And then he pulls, and look, he pulls his arm back and he's missing his hand. And so for a lot of us, it's like, it's like we're tired of our comfort zone. We want adventure in our life. We want excitement in our life. We, want, we know the Christian. We know we were made for better than this. We, we know we were made for more than this. We know that Jesus has something better than this for us. And, but we're kind of afraid to leave the Ur of the Chaldees. We're, we're kind of afraid to leave the shores and get in the boat and go on the other side. Because, you know, the guy that's leading this journey, he ain't a fisherman. I mean, did you ever consider the fact that maybe they could read the, 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 the weather patterns and he said, get in the boat and go to the other side and they're thinking, eh. you're just a rabbi. You, you've been to rabbinical school or whatever, but leave the fishing to us. Right? But he says, and, and so, and so we, it's kind of like, okay, I gotta get out of my comfort zone. I gotta get out of my place. And so, I kind of test the waters out here like this, and then something yucky happens. Something painful happens. Because, remember, your comfort zone is there to keep you comfortable. And the opposite of comfort is... So as soon as I get uncomfortable, as soon as... And I, and I, and I want to pull it back in, but... Right? And so they think, see, I told you so. And you find lots of people with no hands. Because part of what we want when we leave our comfort zone is advice. 
I want somebody's advice. I want somebody to validate my experience. I want somebody to tell me that where I'm going is okay. I want somebody to tell me that it's all going to work out for me. Come on, am I just preaching to myself this morning? I'm just curious. And you know what we're doing? We're still looking out here instead of into negotiating the invisible arenas that God is calling us into by faith. We're still looking at things that are seen instead of things that are not seen. I'm looking for somebody to agree with me. I'm looking for somebody to validate me. I'm looking for somebody to comfort me or support me. Right? And can we be honest? I'm looking for somebody to shift the blame to if everything goes wrong. <laughs> right? That's why people, and I was dumb as a, as a, as a young pastor, wet behind my ears in my pampers, pastoring. People come to me for advice and I thought it was my job to give it to them. And then things would go wrong and I wonder why they were mad at me. So now people come to me for advice. I don't know, hear the Lord. Oh, and here's the other thing. God, oh, and this upsets Christians, but it's absolutely the truth. God did not give you the Bible. God did not give you the Bible as some kind of systematic manual for how to live your life. The Bible is primarily a book of stories and images and a record of other people who journeyed outside their comfort zone in faith to follow God without a book because <laughs> it's in the process of being written. <laughs> The disciples don't have the benefit of Mark chapter 4 to know that the storm's going to get calmed and when they meet that crazy demon-possessed man, he's not going to tear them apart. It hasn't been written yet. It hasn't been recorded yet. They're having to do it entirely by faith. So you can't even necessarily... Trust me, I tried it for a lot of years. I'm going to find all the principles and if I follow all these principles, then everything's going to work out. And it doesn't work. And the reason they don't tell you in church that it doesn't work is because we've made a cottage industry selling you books and getting you to go to conferences and selling you tapes, telling you that it does work. And so if we tell you that it doesn't work, we've cut off our own product. Not realizing that we're merchandising wares in God's temple. And in many ways, we've been guilty of becoming a den of thieves. Because I've talked to, listen, I talk to preachers. I don't know, I've, I've always had this gift where people opened up to me. And I, I can tell you, the preachers that preach it and then tell me privately, it doesn't work for me. I talked to one not too long ago. I've been preaching this stuff for 30 years and we, we're not seeing any fruit from it. Well, maybe you should change the message. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't stand up every time you preach and lie to people. But they don't like to hear that. And then I lose friends. <laughs> and it's really a bummer, but I'm just... <laughs> it's just the truth. Because the, the fact of the matter, life is messy. And I really want Christians to hear that. Life is messy. We have this idea of what it means to be a perfect Christian. We have this idea of what it means to have the perfect Christian family or to have the perfect Christian home or have the perfect Christian life. And we have this idea that if you're just doing it right, if you just follow the principles, you'll have your best life now. (laughs) Right? 
If you just follow the principles, if you just talk right. See, I went through that. I thought if I just talk right, if I don't talk about problems, if I don't talk about circumstances, if I don't talk about situations, then I'm not sowing the seed of my own destruction out of my mouth. And life is good. And, and all it does is reinforce whatever coping mechanism of denial you have in your life. So you don't talk about your problems. You minimize your problems. You ignore your problems. You, you ostrich Christians. Ostrich Christians with their head buried in the book. Denying the reality of life as it's going on around them. And presenting false images and false expectations. And really lying about God. Really lying about God and saying that Jesus is a tame lion. Lying about God and saying that Jesus is safe. Lying about life and saying you're never going to face any storms. Lying about life and saying you're never going to face any trials or tribulations. And if you're facing trials and tribulations, just get in the book, apply the principles, and they'll work themselves out. And I'm here to tell you that God doesn't operate that way. I'm here to tell you that Jesus consistently brought His disciples out of their comfort zone. Jesus consistently pushed His disciples into places of anxiety. Jesus consistently pushed and invited His disciples into places of conflict and misunderstanding and persecution and tribulation. It's just the truth. But when we don't tell the truth about God, here's what we do. We set false expectations. And when we set false expectations, when life doesn't pan out the way you think it's supposed to, you have mismanaged expectations. And when you have mismanaged expectations, you have the opportunity for bitter roots. See, you don't have to sin against me for me to have a need to have to forgive you. Actually sin, like break one of the Ten Commandments. Really, all you have to do is violate my expectations. And the moment you don't live up to my expectations, I'm disappointed. And now I've got the seeds of bitterness growing in my life. And I have to forgive. I have to release you from violating my expectation. And so there's a whole group of people in the church that the most that the healthiest thing they can do is forgive God. Not because God ever sinned against them, but because he never lived up to the expectations that someone else put on him through misrepresentation but called it prophecy. And there's a whole, I've just found out after 20 some years, there's a whole lot more prophesying going on in the church than prophesying. Always prophesying. I mean, in our movement, always prophesying the next big thing, the next big move of God, the next breakthrough, the next 
whatever, the next blessing, the next abundance, the next this, the next that, this year. And it cracks me up. I mean, how can we be so silly and, and unsophisticated in the church that we buy this stuff year after year? Because, you know, I don't know if they still do it because I gave up on it a long time ago, but like every time there's a new year. I know it's not New Year's, but every time there's a new year, we have to find a word that rhymes with the year. And I've been around a few decades. So I, I did getting free in 93 and getting free in 2003. I did more in 94 and more 2004. They probably don't do it as much now because we're in the teens. So it has to rhyme every year. So they'll figure out some other gimmick to sell you. To tell you something that isn't true. And create an opportunity for you and I to have to negotiate a bitter root with God. Because the truth is, he's not safe. The truth is, he's wild. The truth is, he's not a tame lion. The truth is, you can't bring him into your house. The truth is, sometimes he's going to lead you into a storm. Sometimes he's going to promise you one thing. And you're going to experience the exact opposite immediately of what he promised you. Because somebody forgot to tell us that between the brickyard of Egypt and the promised land of Canaan, there is this whole wilderness called process that we have to walk through. And the whole purpose of it, the whole purpose of it is this. The whole purpose of it is to actually get us in touch with where we're living at an emotional level. See, as long as I'm on this side of the lake, I don't know all that fears in me. As long as I'm in the Ur of the Chaldees, I don't know all that anxiety's there. And I can stay asleep and manage my expectations by never getting out of my comfort zone. And I stay limited and I stay inhibited. And I don't ever really discover what I'm capable of or the life that I could actually manifest. Right? And so what does God do? God invites me. <laughs> what, what, what does Jesus do with the disciples? Get in the boat because they don't know all that's in them. So they get in the boat and then there's a storm. And he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't point to anything out here at all. He doesn't say, phew, boys, wow, that was a tough one. I'm glad the Father was with us today. There's actually three rebukes in the passage. He rebukes the wind. He rebukes the waves. Then he turns around and he rebukes his disciples, not because they did something wrong. He's just getting them in touch with where they're really living on the inside. See, when you get in a storm, the last thing you pay attention to usually is what's happening in here. Usually we're too busy paying attention to the waves and the sinking ship. And we're not really awake to what we're doing 
at a heartfelt level. And so Jesus has to shut everything down out here. It wasn't, wasn't like they couldn't get through the storm to get there. It was a lesson. So he shuts down everything that's going on out here and points them to where the real storm is. And that was inside their own hearts. Why are you so fearful? And once they became aware of their, aware of their fear, then they realized they were terrified. Because really, coming to faith... See, you're not in faith until you're... You don't even have the opportunity to be in faith until you're in anxiety. Think about it. What has God asked you to do that was comfortable? Where you really knew you heard from God? What has God really invited you into that didn't require any kind of dealing at a level of fear and anxiety? You can't really come up with anything. I mean, if you're really hearing from the Lord, it could be as simple as go talk to your neighbor about Jesus and you've got to work through, eh, how do I do this? So he's constantly prompting you outside that. And the lesson is, when you learn to go within and pay attention to what's happening in here. So see, here's the real issue with faith for me. If love, perfect love, casts out fear, then the lesson for me, when I'm in the midst of the storm, and I feel like there's no support around me, and I don't know where I'm going, and I'm scared of life because I can't control it, and I'm scared of him because I can't control it, then the lesson for me is, he loves me. The lesson for me is, he loves me in the midst of my storm. He loves me even when life is messy. He loves me even when I feel powerless. The great theologian, and this is where I'll close, the great theologian Karl Barth, most of you probably never heard of him, but he's considered the greatest theologian of the 20th century. The great theologian, and he he wrote this thing on systematic theology that is just, uh, forget about it. I mean, you need a dictionary every ten words. I mean, it's insane. People have written books to try to understand what it was that Karl Barth was saying about God. And you can't even understand those books. I'm just saying. But you know, at the end of his life, they asked Karl Barth, they said, all the systematic theology, everything that you've learned about God, what is the most important thing that you can tell us about God? And you know what Karl Barth said? He said, the most important thing I can tell you about God, the most important thing I've learned in however many decades of doing theology, the one most important thing I've learned is this. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. That was his definitive statement at the end of his life. And I wonder, I really wonder, is that enough? Is it enough that if everything was stripped away from us, 
that we're going through hell in our life, that we can sit back and say, no matter how this situation turns out, the one thing I know is true. Jesus loves me. And the moment we start to learn that lesson is the moment our anxieties and our fears begin to say goodbye. And we find ourselves no longer in our anxiety zone. We find ourselves in a brand new comfort zone. But it's not depending on the things of this world that are passing away. It's depending on the love of God that is from everlasting to everlasting. And it's the greatest treasure that any one of us could ever hope to find. And it's the only way when life has gone messy and crazy that you can sit back and say, no matter what happens, it is well with my soul. I mean, let's stand up. Just to stand up. I don't know where you're at. I don't know. I have no idea. You might be, you know, one preacher said you're either leaving a storm, you're in a storm, or you're headed for a storm. That's a great thing to leave with, isn't it? Let's go watch the Bronco game. Oh, they don't play today. That's right. That is a storm. I'm just saying, I don't know where you're at. I don't know how God is, wants to apply this to your life or how you need to apply this to your life. I don't know. Maybe God's inviting you to get out of your comfort zone and you've been fighting it. Maybe you're in the midst of a storm and you just need some encouragement. I don't know. But you know and the Holy Spirit knows, right? So let's just close our eyes and let's just, let's just bask in His presence for just a minute. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you love us. Thank you that you know us. Thank you that you're with us, that you're in us, that you're for us. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now. Lord, whatever they're going through, wherever they're at at this stage of life, Father, I pray this morning that the love of God will become so real inside our lives and inside our hearts that it will become an anchor in the midst of every storm and situation that stabilizes our souls and frees us from unrealistic expectations. Some of you have been carrying unrealistic expectations about yourself, unrealistic expectations about God, unrealistic expectations about people in your life. And God wants you to lay those down. <laughs> So I want to invite you. We're going to close with a, a song, maybe, if we, if we can. Can we do that? And if you just need to lay some burdens down, you just need to lay some expectations down, you, just, you need to respond in whatever way you need or want to respond. We want to invite you. The, the front is open. You can come up to the front. We'll have ministry teams here to minister to you. God bless you. Jesus loves you. I hope you go out of here encouraged. <laughs> and God bless you.